So today I'm going to wrap up my, my series. Uh, it was just a short one. Uh, Walt and Carrie almost missed the whole thing. So that's besides the point. Um, but um, so I've just been looking at this reality. Um, the promise that we read in Scripture is that God is here. Like he's a God. He describes himself in the Old Testament and New Testament as a God who will never leave us or forsake us. He describes Jesus. Uh, Jesus, Mary's going to give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the God who we serve. He's a God who is, who is omnipresent. He is a God who is always with us. But I sense at times, maybe it's just me, I don't always know his presence. <laughs> I don't always see his presence. I'm not always experiencing his, his presence. And so we've looked at over the last two weeks, and we'll, we'll look at one more this week, at what I see some ideas that we can do for positioning ourselves for the presence of God. I'm going to read a verse. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, this last verse in here, there's five that I'm going to read, is what I believe these are the key to experiencing the presence of God. But this, this other stuff is pretty good too. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Now, there's several things in there that I want to see. I want to see my kids, my grandkids, their grandkids, whatever, uh, loving the Lord, fearing the Lord. And I wouldn't mind living a long life. So these are things that we need to do. Hear Israel. Be careful to obey it so that it may go well with you. That sounds good, too. I want things to go well. Um, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds delicious. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And he says in verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, in the last few weeks, we've kind of been working backwards in this. This series started with the story uh, of a man named Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a short guy, and he was in a big crowd, and he couldn't see Jesus. He heard Jesus was walking by, and so to love God with all his strength, what he did was reposition himself by running ahead of the cloud, crowd and climbing a tree that's loving God with all of our, our strength. Last week, we looked at this middle one. This middle one's an interesting one that I don't think we talk about a lot. Love God with all your soul. You see, our soul is that, that inward stuff in us that sometimes we fight with. The word that I used last week when I came to talking about soul was this idea that we sacrifice. You see, in the Old Testament, what we see time and time again is that sacrifice comes before the presence of God a lot of times. A lot of times what's taking place before the presence of God is revealed is the people are, are participating in sacrifice. In the book of, of Romans in the New Testament, it describes us as living sacrifices. Like we still have things that we have to lay down. There's flesh in me. There's stuff that I want. There's stuff that I want to pursue. There's stuff that stands in the way of me and God. And sometimes I have to sacrifice and say, no, the presence of God is more important than this stuff. That's loving God with all of our soul. Today I want to talk about the last, the last, or the first, <laughs> it's the first or last, depending if you look at it upside down like I do, um, loving God with all your heart. What does it look like to love God with all of our, our heart? 
And I was thinking, you know, we can talk about loving God with all of our heart, but, but maybe before I do that, we can talk about, one, we understand, how do we love each other with all of our hearts? Like that special someone. A poem for my wife this morning. I carry you or your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I'm never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you're my fate, my sweet. No, not yet. We're not there yet. I want no world for beautiful. Look at me. You, you are my world, my true, and it's, it's you are whatever a moon has always meant and whatever a sun will always sing, it's you. Here's the deepest secret that nobody knows. Here's the root of the root and the bud of the bud, the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than soul can hope or man can hide. And it's the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. And I carry you in my heart. Laughter doesn't help me right now. I carry it in my heart. You see, it's funny. There's a whole genre of poetry. This is a poem written by E.E. E. Cummins of, of love poems. You know how guys get... You know, Trevor's out, out of this stage. Now, Levi takes some notes, writes some things down this morning. You know, there's something weird that happens to us when this woman gets in our life, and we say things that we never dreamed we'd say. We start saying stuff like, you're the bud of the bud, and the, and the rose of the rose, and all these crazy things, like our words begin to reflect love. You know what I'm talking about? Casey, you remember? Guys... Now, Irene, some people, we, we do songs. Start, start it over. We've got, we got to start the whole thing. 1981. Lionel Richie. Can you, can you go backwards? Start this over. Sorry. There's only you in my life. Grab her hand now. And you can grab his hand too. Jim's going back, nineteen eighty one. can bring that down now, Irene. Then you're going to have to click on the PowerPoint because I'm stuck. You know, it's interesting whether it's poems or songs. That was a song, Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, if you're wondering. 1981, it was on the Billboard Top 
charts. It's amazing what was on the Billboard top charts then versus today. Nine weeks uh, in, in their list of the greatest love songs. It's, on their, it's in their top ten greatest love songs of all time. I still can't control anything. Um, but it's interesting how we've learned to express our hearts. And a lot of times the way we express our heart position for someone is whether it's with words or song. I mean, you catch yourself crazy sometimes. Guys, sing your wife a love song, but don't let her laugh. Not happening. Brent, just try it. I still can't control anything. <laughs> Jim, have you seen what took place this morning? She ain't controlling anything. There we go. There's the lyrics to that song. Um, my endless love. Anyway, so we're, what, what I wanted to do all that, whether it was the poem or the song, um, the reality was that oftentimes the way we love with all of our heart, it comes through words and it comes through song. And really, what are words and song when it comes to our context with God? When it comes to our context with God, what, what, what is it that when we're loving God with all of our heart, a lot of times that's expressed. I'm not saying it's only expressed, but I'm saying a typical way in which we express that is with our worship, right? Isn't that what we do? That's why sometimes I think we wonder why are we singing or what's going on or, or, or whatever. The whole point of that is that, that worship is really supposed to be an expression of our hearts. You know, you didn't write it. You don't have to write Lionel Richie or E.E. E. Cummins. You can still use it. It's still good. Right? I mean, that's the reality of what's taking place on on Sundays, and it's interesting. Last week we talked about sacrifice. Remember, we told the story of Solomon, and Solomon's job that he took over when he became king was was he was going to rebuild the temple. He was going to build it. You can't rebuild it because it hadn't been destroyed yet. He was going to build the temple. They'd been living or they'd been traveling where their temple was a tabernacle. It was a tent, and Solomon's job was to build it. And he went through all these extremes. He used countless amounts of gold and, and silver to make this temple. And when it was being dedicated, here's what it says. They had sacrificed. Now, before this, we read they sacrificed how many animals? Does anyone remember? Rosemary, you should remember. Many, many, more than they could count. That's Rosemary gets a gold star. She couldn't come up with a number. It was more than they could count. The sacrifice that took place before this moment It says the trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests couldn't perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. See, we talked about sacrifice, but also many times with sacrifice comes this idea of praise or worship, where we're singing or we're expressing with words our understanding of God, who God is, what God has done, what he's accomplished, what God will do, the promises that he's made to us. We say things like he's good, his love, it endures forever. 
forever. I mean, these are the principles that we have. And so when I talk about worship, and I'm trying to figure, because I think worship's going to look different in your life than it does in my life at times. There's a, there's a moment for corporate worship. That's why we do what we do here. But, but there was someone in Scripture who was known for his worship. Does anybody have a guess? Huh? There we go. We're getting there. Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified. Now think of God saying this about you. God testified, I found David, a son of Jesse, after man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David had demonstrated his heart position to God so much God had seen it, God had known it, and that was David's reputation. He was a worshiper who wrote the Psalms. What are Psalms? I bet you if you read Psalms, you'll be surprised how many of them you know. Do you know why? Because we sing a lot of them on Sunday mornings. You know, David, that's kind of who he was. That's the position we see. So a story about David when it comes to his position of worship. We were talking about the temple. What did they carry into the temple at the dedication? Does anyone remember? The Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. Does, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, when you see that, it's not just what um, uh, who, who was Indiana Jones was looking for. Um, that is what he was looking for, but that's not it. I mean, the chalice or whatever. But anyway, that's not what he was looking for. The Ark of the Covenant was this, this box that they had built. It was, according to God's descriptions, lined in gold. It had in it uh, some, some manna and, and some things that God had done, the tablets that he gave to Moses. But it was symbolic of the presence of God. It's where with God's people in the Old Testament, his presence was found, was within this ark. And so what happened with that ark was at one point in the history of Israel, they went to a battle, but they didn't consult God before they went to the battle. That was when Saul was the king. And so they went into battle with the ark, because that's the way they learned. Like they took the ark first, because then when the presence of God was there, they would always win. But God didn't tell them to go there, so guess what happened? They lost. Guess what they lost? The ark. The Philistines captured the ark. And they took it back with them. Now, in seven months, they decided they didn't want to keep this because things got real bad for them. And so they willingly gave it back to Israel. But there's about 20 to 25 years that, that kind of is, is spanned in this where the ark hasn't been reunited with the tabernacle. <laughs> they haven't brought it back there. And so David becomes the king, and he decides it's time to bring the ark back to the tabernacle. And so that's where we're going to be. This is in, in, in um, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so David begins to bring the ark because he wants to have the presence of God, positioning ourselves for the presence of God. It says that as he's bringing the tabernacle, they take a few steps and guess what they do? They sacrifice. It takes a few steps, they sacrifice an animal. They take a few more steps, they sacrifice an animal. But I said sacrifice and worship often precedes the presence of God. So in verse 5, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Jim's bringing cymbals next Sunday for worship. They were positioning themselves 
with worship. They were acknowledging the presence of God. They were excited about what was about to be revealed. They had an expectation in them about what was to happen. Now, in this chapter, it's where this weird story comes because they're carrying the ark and it falls and some guy touches it. And then he's not supposed to touch it, and he dies. It's a bad deal for him. Um, and so then they just send the, the ark for a little while because everyone's frightened about it just to some other guy's house for a few months. Stories come back that Jason got the ark, and he's getting blessed. Like it, it, everything's happening well at Jason's house is what happens. And, and so at that point, King David says, okay, let's bring the ark back. It's time. We're going to do this. And so what do we see? They start to bring it back. Uh, you can read this whole chapter. I'm telling it pretty quick this morning. And, and, and they're singing. They're sacrificing. This is awesome. And all of a sudden, David's outside in his underwear. It says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Now, it probably wasn't his underwear. I take that back. But what happened was David was the, the king. Kings had really nice regalia. They had these, these brilliant robes. They were adorned. And the robe and everything. When people saw your robe, they knew they had to bow down because he was the king. That was who he was. And so what he was doing in the midst of, of worship, in the midst of this moment where the, the, the ark is coming back to the tabernacle, was he said, I'm taking off my identity. That's sacrifice, huh? That's loving him with all my soul. <laughs> and he starts worshiping him in a linen ephod. Guess who had linen, linen ephods? Everybody! <laughs> you didn't have to be rich to have a linen ephod. You didn't have to be the king to have an e- e- ephod. Whatever an ephod is, he didn't have, you didn't have to be rich. Everyone had one. And so he was identifying with everyone else. He wasn't separated. And he's, he's, he's dancing in front of everyone else, taking off his royalty and, and his wife. She wasn't singing a love song. Michael looks out of the window and she's disgusted. Now, Michael was King Saul's daughter, uh, but that's just kind of some of her backstory. And she looks out, and, and she sees David dancing, and she starts to, like, get upset. I can't believe, I can't believe Sugar Pie's out there dancing in, in, his, in his underwear. There are slave girls out there. They're not supposed to see him in anything but, but his rose. I mean, he is humiliated. He is this, my daddy was the king, and, and he's the king now, and he's embarrassing my family right now. He's, he's taken for granted royalty. He's taken for granted all the... I mean, she is upset. She starts to call him on it. David says to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. I love this phrase, because what are we learning from David in the midst of this story? What are we seeing about a pattern of worship from David? The first thing that we see is his worship isn't dependent on who's around him. I mean, sometimes we're waiting for someone else. Like, I'll wait. Yep, yep they, they put their hand up. I'm putting my hand up. Up. 
I can clap. I mean, we're, we're so conditioned by, by who, who, who's around us. I mean, no one else is singing this song. I don't have to sing this song either. David said, it doesn't matter who's around me. What he's showing right here is this worship. What is the worship that he's expressing based upon? God and God alone. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever expressed love for someone where it didn't matter what was around you? Guys, you ever get teased by your friends? Make fun of you because of the way you're acting around this girl? And it didn't matter because she was the object of your love? So you can tease me all you want, but I'm going to hold her hand? You know what I'm saying? You can make fun of me. You can say whatever. You can say, I I lost my man card. I'll give it to you because it doesn't matter because I've got someone I love. There's a time in our lives where, where our love becomes unashamed. What about our love for God? Like when we can express it without the fear of what everyone's thinking. Where we can express it without worrying if Michael's looking up with their little binoculars, looking at me saying, what's he doing right now? Or the, or the slave girls are giggling because I'm in my ephod and not my robe. None of that was on David's mind. What was on David's mind? The presence of God. I'm restoring the presence of God to the tabernacle and it's about to get crazy. I heard about some of the things that are revealed in his presence. And I can't wait. And I love God with all because I've seen all that God has done. And I don't want my robe. I don't want my stuff. I don't want people to stand in the way of who I am with him. And so I'm just dancing unashamed before him. His worship was not dependent on others. Now, this was a pretty cool moment in the story, right? I mean, ark renewed, whatever else. We have the Psalms of David. David teaches us some other principles about worship. Here's a psalm. I want to read it, and I'm going to ask you what it's about. So this is interactive. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth, pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They... Use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heaven, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. What is David praising for? The sun? How common is the sun? I think we get to experience this every 24 hours. So in my life, I'm not going to do the math right now, 44 years of 365 days, I've been able to experience that probably something like 15,000 times. Don't check me because I might be wrong and I'll be embarrassed. You see, David's not just singing praise or worshiping God when there's these monumental moments like the the ark. 
But he's worshiping God in every circumstance. We've been there. We have a men's Bible study group. You know what we talked about one time? A rainbow. A bunch of guys came to Bible study and we talked about a rainbow. Remember that, Roy? You can say yes. You talked about it too. (laughs) Ryan? I'm not lying, Greg. I'm not lying. We see rainbows all the time, but there was something in that moment. The rainbow captivated us. There was something about it. David looked at the sun, and for whatever reason, in this moment, in the midst of something that was was common, he found a reason to praise God. And he's talking about the sun the way Walt wants Carrie to talk about him. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. I mean, seriously, it's a love song about the sun. Why? Because his worship wasn't based on man and it wasn't based on stuff. It wasn't circumstantial. It was based on the one who is, who was, and always will be. It was based on the one who created the sun in such a way that it would come up every day. In such a way that it would reveal itself every day. You see, our worship is not based on on others and it's not based on, on circumstance. David, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and and my foes who stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. His praise is consistent. We went from the time where he was praising for bringing the ark to the time where he was praising for the sun coming up. Now he's praising God when? The enemies are besieging him. Has anyone ever said my enemies are besieging me? I think that's probably a bad moment. I don't know. I've never had to say my enemies are besieging me. You see, his praise was consistent. He, he would say every morning, I, I praise God every morning. When the sun comes up, when the sun goes down. David's praise was consistent. Not only was it consistent, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe. In his dwelling he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice huh, with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make music to the Lord. Because there's sacrifice and worship that precedes the presence of God. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior. Verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me in the Lord, the Lord will receive me. His, his, his praise, his worship was consistent, but it was also, also persistent. Right? I mean, he says, I, have you ever felt this? 
Lord, don't hide your face from me. You ever have those moments where you're praising? And I mean, it's like you're in a sanctuary all by yourself and it's just echoing all around you. And you're wondering if this thing's going anywhere but the room in which you're in. There's moments that David experienced where, where he says, Lord, have you turned your face from me? Don't turn your face from me forever. There's moments where he says, I've been crying out. I've been praising God. Will you stop? Will you be silent forever? There's moments where we praise, where we don't feel anything. There's moments where we, we worship, where, where we wonder whether God hears or not. That's okay. Can I say that? But his worship was persistent, even though I don't hear you, even though your face seems like it's hidden, my heart, see, I'm going to love you with all my heart. You see, I know who you are, God. I know you're the God that said you'll never leave me or forsake me. I know you're the God who said you're always with me. And so even though I don't feel you, even though I'm not sure, I think we sing a song about that sometimes, even though I'm not sensing that you're here right now, I'm going to continue to pursue you. I'm going to seek you with what? All my heart. I'm going to sing a love song even if I think you're not here. Jason, you ever done that? You're singing a love song about Julie and... You think she's out somewhere and she comes around the corner? (laughs) Try it sometime. I bet it turns out good for you. (laughs) Like, how cool is that? When, When David is convinced that God can't hear him, but he's still singing a song of praise. Because I'm going to seek him with all my heart and he's going to hear me. He might just poke his head around the cabinet and say, I hear you. David's worship was consistent. It was persistent. It wasn't circumstantial. And it was expectant. Teach me, Lord, your way. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. See, I have an expectation in my worship. There's a confidence in what I'm singing. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. David's worship was an expectation of what God would do. There was a confidence in his worship. I will. Not I might. Not maybe. Not not when God decides. Not not this might happen when, when this happens or that happens or this moon is here and that moon is there or whatever else. I will see the goodness of the Lord when. Not just in Beulah land way far away. But I'll see the goodness of the Lord where? Where I'm living. Why? Because I love him with my whole heart. And because I know who he is. And because I've seen him do it time and time again. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we tell the stories of what happened. Because it helps me be confident in what's coming. That's why we have Angie share a testimony on a Sunday morning. Because sometimes when I hear what God did in Angie's life, it helps me to stay confident that God can do it in my life. 
And I praise even when my enemies surround me. Because I'm going to see. I expect to see the goodness of the Lord in my life. You see, worship, I believe, repositions my heart. I believe sometimes my heart's not in the right position and I have to be intentional about worshiping God. Now, we read in here, sometimes Jim's going to be clanging some cymbals. That's okay. If it's under the Lord, whatever a sistrum is, I'm sure someone here knows, don't tell me, because I can figure it out myself, but that's besides the point. Whatever it is, we're going we're gonna to praise God with that. I mean, who's got a harp today? We're going to praise God with harps. Who's got a lyre? Not a lyre like you tell lies, but a lyre like the instrument. We're going to praise God with that today. It's not about the how. It's about the who. It's not about the what. It's about the one. And when I start focusing on the one, it helps me in the midst of my moment. Sometimes I'm not thinking about a good, good father. Sometimes I'm not thinking about a God who loves me. Sometimes I'm thinking about all the garbage that I'm going through. Sometimes I'm thinking about how frustrated I am because I still don't have a dryer. Sometimes those things happen in my life. And sometimes I have to sacrifice myself. I had to call Sears this week. You know what I did before I called Sears? If you don't know the Sears story, just I'll tell you sometime. I actually had to call them, and then I had to chat with customer service twice with Sears this week. And I'm still at three business days, so just leave it at that. Do you want to know what I did before I called Sears this week? I got my Amazon Music app out, (laughs) and I clicked the worship app. Because I knew I needed to. You see, sometimes I need someone else to help me understand the goodness of God. Sometimes the mess is so much that I can't even focus on it. That's this discipline of worship. That's loving God with all my heart. That's the sacrifice at times. See, that's the living sacrifice. Offering praise to God is what it says. We're living sacrifices. Sometimes, you know what? I don't want to worship. Sometimes, you know what? I don't want to love my wife. She'll say the same. Not about loving herself, but about loving me because I'm a hard guy sometimes. Right, Jim? That's why he gave me french fries, but that's besides the point. Sometimes it's not about what I want. And it's not about who's watching. It's about the one. That's what worship is. You know, you guys can come forward. Positioning for his presence. John chapter 4, Jesus said this, A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I like that. There's a time coming when we're going to worship God in spirit and truth. I want to pause on that because sometimes, you know what? I I tell people this. If you don't mean what the songs say, then don't sing it because I don't want to make you a liar. And I'm not talking about a worship instrument right now. Like I think we're so conditioned to singing songs on the radio. I can sing about my Chevy and and whatever, driving my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was drunk. Well, that might work now. I guess we could make that song true, but if I don't have a Chevy and there's no levy around, then why am I singing about my Chevy to the levy? 
You know, we're conditioned sometimes with songs to lie. And sometimes I think we do that in worship. Like, hey, it's up on the screen. I'm supposed to read the words and say that. It says that a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Don't worship Him. Don't sing the songs if you don't believe them. Change the words to however makes you feel best. Take off your robe and wear an ephod for a while. Be a little bit undistinguished. I'm not worried about that. I want you to worship in spirit and in truth. Why? You don't have it up there anymore. I need my, I need this. This is a good point, Irene. I need this up here. I want the PowerPoint back up. I'm willing to pause. This is good. You think of what I'm going to say. Where's it at? Go, I can't control it. I need you to go to my John 4 slide. Oh, we're at the beginning. We're going. We'll get there. That's what we just did this morning, just in case you didn't get it the first time. Got it now. So, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers. This is cool. This is cool stuff. Like, I want you to underline this maybe. If you don't underline, I want you to think about this. True worshipers. They're the kind of worshipers the Father. Man. Who's the Father? It's God. It's the one who spoke everything that we have into existence. That's the one who put the sun into motion. That's the one who is, was, and always will be. That's the one who created Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the one who walked with them. That's the one who sent his only begotten son so that we might have life. And it says that when I worship him in spirit and in truth, the Father seeks me. That's cool. I don't know how else to say it. That is incredible. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We reposition ourselves when we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. I believe that when we celebrate, when we reposition, sorry, when we reposition ourselves with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, we're putting ourselves. Again, this positioning isn't about changing God. It's about changing me. It's putting me in a position to see who he is. It's putting me in a position to acknowledge what he's doing. It's putting me in a position to experience his presence. And I'll read this. It's not my name, so I can read it, and you can argue with A.J. Tozer. He's dead and in the presence of the Lord now, but good luck arguing with him. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman who on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. He's not just talking about what we sing on Sunday mornings. He's talking about someone who wants to declare God's worth in their life. In these next few moments, I'm going to have them lead us in a chorus. You can pull it up now, Irene. And in these moments, I want you to take a moment to worship God. That worship might today be a sacrifice. You know, Jesus, last week we already said, deny yourself daily and take up your cross. You know, that might be your worship today. God, 
I have this really cool robe. It's got gold buttons, nice purple. It means that I'm the king. But I've got to take it off. You know, this morning you might be here and you might say, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a singer. I'm not one who likes to sing. The back of your bulletin, it's got a place you can write notes. Maybe take a, write a moment to write God a note. Maybe take a moment to write him a, a, a love song. In these next few moments, they're going to sing a song. Maybe your position of worship is to stand to your feet and raise your hands. Maybe your position is, is to come to the altar and kneel before God. But whatever it is, I want us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if you don't know a good, good father, but you want to sing about a good, good father, let me pray with you. Let me talk to you. Let me show you His word. Let me show you His truth so that what we say and what we sing, we're not lying, but we're worshiping Him in spirit and truth because the Father Father seeks those. And today, we can put ourselves in position to experience His presence. Father, in this, in this room, you know every heart. And you've been speaking to each of us. I know the promise that you are here. And God, in this place, I ask that as we position ourselves with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and with all of our heart, that we experience you. I pray that, God, this position isn't just something we do on a Sunday morning, but it's something that becomes a part of our lives. We don't just have an hour or two on Sunday to experience you, but you're with us every moment of every day. And at any moment, we can experience you. Help us, God, to reposition ourselves. In Jesus' name, as Walt begins to lead, I'm going to be up here again. If you have something you want to pray with me, if you want to write a love song, if you want to stand to your feet, if you want to raise your hand or kneel where you're at, if you want to sit in your chair but just worship God, whatever it takes, let's worship Him in spirit and in truth. I changed things up because I wanted to sing one more song. Um, it's a song that most of us will know. Uh, it's a love song. Um, it's one that was on my heart as I was considering this this series or this sermon. Um, and the words are pretty simple. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember in my devotion I said something, you know, sometimes when we express love, it can be a lot of words. We can say these crazy phrases, these these big, huge things, and comparing the sun to champions and our brides to whatever. I'm not even going to go there. But I remember the the time in my life where I looked at my wife and I just said, I love you. Probably could have said a million things in that moment, but those three simple words were the words that she (laughs) needed to hear. (laughs) She had already told me and I didn't tell her back. But they were three powerful words and sometimes our, our words, we can make it all ornamental or whatever, but I just encourage you this morning, if you mean it, I'm going to ask us to sing a love song to God to close this service out. I'm going to give my blessing right now. 
Uh, then we'll do this. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace, his peace. And may you worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you can worship him in spirit and truth, we're going to sing words that says, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. And I want us to sing a love song to God as we leave this morning. Every time you tell the Father you love him, it's a sweet, sweet sound in his ear. I assure you, every time you declare your heart before him, that God seeks you when we worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Be blessed.